Hello and welcome to another episode of Gary Talks. I'm Gary Kelly and today we have a really great podcast for you because I'm joined by the super inspiring Sinead Cassidy, who is the sales and marketing manager at Galway Races. This is our last episode in the series and I'm so happy that we finished 2022 with a bang and a podcast with lots of great tips and stories that are both moving and really motivating. Today, Sinead talks about her love for horses and marketing, how to carry out powerful marketing when you have zero budget, how the Galway races innovated and carried on their historic annual event during COVID. She talks about rebranding and the importance of constantly trying to improve the product whilst creatively engaging your audience and making the customer experience even better year on year. She talks about facing your fears and empowering yourself. And she also talks about the power of mentorship and self-development. As we head into a new year, I think there's lots of wisdom and helpful advice in what Sinead has to say. So sit back, relax and enjoy. This is a GK Media Podcast. Sinead Cassidy, Sales and Marketing Manager at Galway Races. Thank you for joining us on Gary Talks. It's a pleasure to be here. Delighted to have you. Because I was talking to you a couple of years ago during COVID when Goy Races were up for the Goy Chamber Awards. And I said, I have to get John Gary Talks. And of course, the last two years really have been chaotic for everyone. And at the time, you were doing a lot of innovation to carry on this big annual event. Now, I know there's a few race meetings during the year, but the summer one is massive. So you were doing lots of really cool, interesting things at the time, which we'll get into. But let's go back in the DeLorean in time, if that's okay, because we grew up and we kind of knew each other. Yeah, we did. Only down the road from me. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> and you lived beside my cousins, the Grants in Dangan. Oh, I didn't know they were yeah, your cousins. Billy and Keith and Nicola. I yeah. never knew that. Yeah. Okay. Their mum and my dad are brother and sister. Okay, okay. See, Billy was in the other gang to us. Okay. So there was like a, there was like two gangs in Dangan. So Billy was in the other gang. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as we grew older, we all became good friends again. So yeah, it was very interesting to just see you rise through the ranks of marketing over the years, having just known you as a happy-go-lucky teenager in, in Newcastle growing mm. up. So where did the the bite, the passion, the interest for marketing? Because I think, you know, it's important for people to realize, especially those getting into marketing today, is marketing today is so different to what marketing was 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, first of all, I love what I do. So started off back in, I went to school in Taylor's Hill in Galway, Skull Roche Primary in Taylor's Hill Secondary School. And I remember filling out my CAO form and I always loved children. So it was either going to go into being a midwife or marketing. And why marketing was, I always just loved advertising campaigns and saying, you know, why are they doing that? And who are they speaking to? And it's just something that fascinated me. I had a really good business studies teacher in Taylor's Hill called Mrs. Dunn, who since passed away. But she was she was really interesting and she made business studies really interesting, particularly the marketing side of it. So then as children, my brother and I, Brian, my dad bought us Connemara ponies. So dad was an electrician with the ESB. And when he trained, he trained under a gentleman down the road from you in Chestnut Lane. They're called Frank Hernan. So every lunchtime when dad was training as an apprentice, they'd go to Frank Hernan's place and they'd be feeding the Connemara ponies 
Anyway, my dad went on and bought my brother and I two foals. We then started riding. And then on a Friday night, dad used to run the riding club out in Rockmount. And he'd always want someone to kind of help promote us or just take in entries and do the entry board and advertise about the social coming up or what was going on within the club and congratulate riders if they'd done well. So from an early age, I was kind of always doing little bits of advertising and marketing for the riding club and then pony club. And then when I filled out my CEO form and realised there's a lot of blood (laughs) to being a midwife, Mm -hmm. I might be better suited (laughs) to the marketing side of things. So then I applied for the a business course in NUI and at the time GMIT and I was lucky then that I got into GMIT and then I did the marketing the four-year bachelor business studies marketing degree and then went on to NUI and I did the postgrad in marketing practice there and then that's it's just I think it's always just been in me and my mum as well would be in her own way into psychology and as to why people do things. And that's what marketing is a lot. Yeah. You have to know what moves and motivates people. And I have a passion for it. And I, yeah, I love it. So your dad was quite entrepreneurial as well. Uh, he was an electrician with the ESP for yeah. forever, for as long as I remember. But he had a love for horses. And that's where my love and now my professional career, as with my brother, it all stemmed from my dad. So Brian show jumps in England, doing very well, thank God. And yeah, I'm working in racing. I'm now going to my... Your brother's a jockey, is he? He's a show jumper. So he would show jump horses. He did it here in Ireland for years. And then just near around 14, 15 years ago, when my son was born, he moved over to Hickstead and rented a yard over there. And from there, his business grew. But he loves it. And you know, you have your own business, which I commend. You have to really love what you do. And if you love what you do, please God, you flourish. So... If we go back looking at... The different jobs you had. Yeah, there's been a few. Yeah, yeah. But it, th- that's good as well. And I think, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important in marketing. You did from a very early age get involved in horse racing and then mm-hmm. you tried hospitality and so on and yeah. went back in to horse racing because one of your first jobs was at Nace Racecourse and then you went on four years later to Punchestown. Yeah, I loved those jobs. Worked with brilliant people. When I was doing my postgrad in NUI, I did it with, it was part of it, it was a HDIP in marketing practice. It's now a master's program, but it involved a 32-week placement with a marketing consultant. And I was lucky to get in with Noreen Darcy. Oh, yeah. She's still there, Darcy Marketing. And when I finished with Noreen, I'd never, I was five years in college in Galway, I'd never moved away. Like I was hungry to move away from the parents' apron strings and fly and find my own way. So my last week with Noreen Darcy, I... On my lunch hour, I rang Navin Racecourse and I luckily, I've been very lucky in life in my professional career. And this particular day, Richard Little, who was the manager there, answered the phone and I said to him that I just completed a dissertation on what it was and horse racing and the marketing of it, got a good grade and asked him, could I come and work for him for free? Because I knew he had a busy race winning coming up. And that's the first lesson in my career was always do more than what someone else is willing to do. So I offered my services free of charge, didn't know anyone in racing. And he said, sure, who's going to decline an extra pair of hands and an eager beaver for two days? So I went up and I stayed with friends of my mum's. They took me in for the weekend and I worked for him for the two days, which ended up in two months. Brilliant. And he eventually paid me. (laughs) (laughs) But he was an amazing mentor at the time. And his... I used to, I was like a sponge. I still am. I I love information. I'm so curious. He used to always say, do whatever it takes to get the job done. 
Okay. So that stuck me even to this day. But during my time at Navin Racecourse, the head of racing in Ireland, Matt Dwyer, was there at the time. And Richard gave him my thesis, my dissertation. And then he got me an interview with NACE Racecourse. Got the interview with NACE, got the job, spent four years with NACE Racecourse. And it was a very small team there. At the time, it was run by a lady called Margaret McGuinness and she was the only female manager in Irish racing and she was just fabulous to work with. So it was a small team, we had very little budget. So that was where I learned a lot of my PR skills because a lot of the publicity we would get was by inviting journalists down or people down to enjoy the racing product and then they would talk about us on radio or TV or on print. And then I went to work with Punchestown and then years later, having tried, you know, retail marketing, which I loved in Dublin, looking after accounts like Liffey Valley, Mahon Point, f- organising fashion shows, all their cool. promos. Brilliant, brilliant experience. Went on to work for the National Ploughing Championships with Anna May. And again, an amazing woman to work for, an amazing mentor. Learned a, cr- a tremendous amount from her. Went on to work with Supermax, with the Supermax group. Learned a lot with them about guerrilla marketing, a, l- a lot about pricing. Learned a tremendous amount there. And then now went on to work for the G Hotel for five years. And now I'm back in the world of racing my love. Sports marketing is my love and really enjoying it. Going into my seventh year now with Mike Maloney and the team. That's brilliant. And just mentioning the G, like when the G opened in Galway, it really was an experience and it was the place to go and to be. And I suppose like the Dean has opened recently in Galway now and that's kind of where everyone wants to go and and be seen and dine and so on. But like all the celebrities and everyone was going to the G at the time. It was it was a really cool place. It's probably the one job where I've learned the most about how to treat the customer, that five star experience. We had a great leader with Jerry Barrett and Trina. And yeah, the detail that you go to in how you mind your customer. Um, and then there were so many different outlets within the business. So you had the spa, mm. you had your food and beverage on the ground floor, you had your conferencing business, your accommodation. I learned an awful lot there and every morning you'd come in and you have your pace reports and how sales were doing, what you needed to do to turn on the tap in sales and marketing to get more business in. And of course, you had all the lovely events. A lot of Galwegians would have attended like fashion shows, you know, dinner and movie events. Oh, God, yeah, I met the loveliest of people there. And I learned an awful lot there under Trina and Jerry. And at NACE Racecourse, where budget is really tight, because some people in marketing just freeze when they realise that the budget is quite limited. And then you go to organisations like Supermax or the G Hotel where there's a much bigger budget to work with. What was the learning in them from working with small budgets to the world yeah. can be your oyster? You know, a great learning for me with NACE was that we didn't have any budget. And even through COVID with the Galway races, we had no budget. So you get quite clever as to what you can do. There's loads you can do, by the way, without having these big budgets. You know, nowadays we didn't have it in NACE, but social media is there nowadays. There's so many ways to know to get through to your customer. But the key thing, and it's something I'm really, really passionate about, is research. Who's your customer? You know, what do they think? What move and motivates them? Really get to know them by doing research. There's loads of stuff you can do now with Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, etc. I think it's all about knowing your customer, where they're going what they're listening to, what they're reading. There's a lot you can do now with very little, thankfully. And is there much power influence, do you think, in traditional marketing now, like your radio newspapers? I think there is, uh, depending on what you're offering. So, for example, as a race course, is there much power in TV and radio? Absolutely, because you're trying to reach the masses. Mm. Would you believe it, for the first time this year, we didn't do any television in Galway Racecourse. So we 
withdrew the budget we would have had to spend on TV and rolled out with an earlier campaign. So normally we go out six weeks pre-event, all bells, all whistles, TV, radio, digital, you name it, we hope we're there. But this year for the first time post-COVID, we went out early. So we went out when Cheltenham were kicking off with a phase one campaign and the money we would have used on TV in our normal campaign, six weeks pre-event, we used that money for phase one when Cheltenham was happening. So we went out early. It was almost like get a date in your diary, fear of missing out. The Galway races is coming up when all eyes were on the racing product, Cheltenham. And we did a lot of digital. Again, doesn't cost a lot. Just have your creative, have your fun videos, which you're great at. And we hosted an event in Galway a local city engagement event to get people excited and, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't been racing in two years. This is what coming up. We had videos linking in again. This didn't cost anything for this part. We had Ruby Walsh send in a video on his WhatsApp. He took the video, sent it into me. I had it projected on the big screens. Rachel Blackmore saying, you know, we can't be there today. We're at Cheltenham, but we will be in Galway very soon. Yeah. So I feel the big media of TV and radio Radio for us is important. Television is still very important to us because we, we are media partners with Orti, Tichi Kahar and Racing TV. We still get our pre-promos with them, pre-racing they put out, you know, coming up in two weeks time, the Galway races. But we do didn't they pay do it time to broadcast the races? No. They don't? No. So they have they all these hours us. of television. Yes. But oh. there's a whole media rights contract that's done with the powers that be, Horse Racing Ireland. But normally, as I said, we would have paid for TV advertising and the run up to it but we didn't do it this year and I don't think we'll be doing it next year too But I thought RT would have paid Galway Races to arrive and to be broadcasting there for X amount of days per week and there'd, there'd even be a little kind of look we'll throw in a few ads for you and No we're just so grateful that they want to be with us yeah. to broadcast for those that can't attend the races for some reason or another they want to broadcast our message and they and do our a festival. great job They do a fantastic yeah. I mean they're brilliant to work with yeah. you know as our TG Cahar they broadcast for us the Friday and Saturday and their numbers are phenomenal. Like it's a homegrown audience. You know, they have a brilliant audience here in the West of Ireland and wider. And they're really good at bringing it that festival cultural vibe of what the Galway races is mm. on screen. But um, going forward, as you know, I mean, I don't really watch appointment to view programs on television anymore. They're recorded. I might watch yeah. them at the weekend. I see it with my son, Sean, he's 14. Television, not so much. It's YouTube. For him, it's YouTube. My four-year-old daughter was giving off to me in the car this morning saying, I don't like the radio. Turn <laughs> off the ra- I want a song. It's like, yeah, they play songs on the radio, but you wanted Spotify. I know. And the uh, funny thing is, I see it with Sean being a 14-year-old, his, you know, what he watches, what he listens to, no TV except for soccer. He lives and breathes it. But he then watches the highlights on YouTube. And I see for myself, I'm no longer sitting down to watch television per se. Mm. It's Netflix or it's if something's yeah. coming on Amazon Prime. Or... Now my radio, I'll still listen to radio going to work, but on the way home, walking, I'll put on a podcast. Yeah. Gary Gatti's podcast. <laughs> You'll be walking someday listening to this now. I definitely to won't be doing that. <laughs> I, I did listen to Alma McGrath. She's a yeah, friend of mine. Brilliant. She came across really well. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. a very authentic superpower she's of amazing. a woman. And again, someone who grew up close to me that I didn't mm, realise about. I know. I learned so much about Botox. I'm telling you, yeah. <laughs> she's the lady to talk to for any skin. Annie, you know, she has amazing knowledge in that industry and she is best in class for sure. It's funny because I was talking to someone there recently and I said, oh, Alma was saying that, you know, she could do some light therapy, which you mentioned in the podcast. <laughs> she did. They're like, oh, yeah, my, my brother goes to her. Like, oh, could be yeah. loads going All on. All ages, male yeah. and female. <laughs> it's a growing market. <laughs> <laughs> 
you were talking about you know all the different things you were doing during Goy races, mm. and it was great that finally the gates opened again and the masses could return. But during COVID, and you know, I think you were very wise about because I think there was one stage during those two years that there was the opportunity to open, but you called it early and you said, no, we'll still do it behind closed doors. Bring us back to the very start. Now, I know March 2020, our heads were spinning and some of us naively thought that, look, this is going to go on for two weeks and then everything will return back to normal. But the big racing festival is kind of the end of July, start of August. And probably towards the end of August, you're nearly planning for the next year already. Correct. So you're probably close enough to having everything ready to go come March 2020. And it's this kind of, how long is this going to go on for? What were the conversations taking place yeah. at the Goy Races back then? I remember the first thing I said, it's myself and Sean in my house. So I thought, oh God, if racing officially had stopped, you know, our, our race goers could no longer come. And I remember my, one of my first questions to my boss was, do I have to apply for a job in Little Araldi here? <laughs> is my job secure? Yeah. So once I got that confirmed, we were like, okay, crack on. The plans we had made, you literally ripped them up out the window. You know, we can't roll with these. Number one, it'll be the first time the race course will have raced behind closed doors in its history. Second thing, we were going to engage with our fans virtually. What was that going to look like? Second thing, we have no race day revenue. So we had no budget really to promote this virtual Galway races offering. When we talk about TV, thank God we had television. Our partners in RTE and TG Cahar and Racing TV to broadcast and, and bring this festival to people who were tuned in at home and wanted to be there. And can you give us an idea of the sort of revenue that is created and the numbers that come to the It's millions. You know, it's, it's millions. It's the Galway races is a huge it, the festival is our is our cash cow for the year to keep the business going. And we were going to have no sponsorship, no hospitality, no admission through the gates. And that's a huge chunk of your business. Huge. And you get thousands through the gates. About 145,000, you know, it's a lot of admission we, tickets. And it has a huge ripple effect across it does. Galway City then during the week. The yeah, festival. the last economic study done was that it would contribute 58 million to the city of Galway. Wow. So... Yeah, you know, I think like all businesses, once you adjusted to the news that it was going to be behind closed doors, it was then making sure all the team, we have a great leader in our CEO, Michael Maloney. And for myself within sales and marketing remit, it was that to lead where I can and follow where I should. So once we all got our offices set up at home, homeschooling, you probably know about that mm -hmm. yourself. It was OK, where do we go from here? So for me, the main thing was we wanted to lead with all our communication with compassion and optimism to let people know, you know, we are here, we're going to race and we're going to connect you as best we can. So that's where I went out and I looked, OK, what's going on out there in the world? What are the NFL doing? For the first time ever, they had a online virtual draft. What are Wimbledon doing? What are the Premier League doing? What are golf doing? So that's the one thing I would also say to businesses is that, look, Think globally. What are others doing that you can learn from and bring back to base with no budget and say, okay, I can tweak this slightly and see, does this work for me? Brilliant. So that's what I did. Excellent. I looked all over the world at sport and we took a lot of those principles and brought them back. So we did things like we did the release of the weights virtually, which we normally have an event. We did our press launch virtually and had guests that wanted to be there tune in via Zoom to speak with trainers like Henry de Bromhead, Rachel Blackmore, Robbie Power. We also did a really fun initiative, which cost zero. It was called Refer a Friend Program. So we'd all these amazing, like the Galway Races fans are like no other. This costs nothing. And again, I saw this being done further afield around the world 
with another sporting organization. So it was Refer a Friend program. So if you knew you had a granddad, neighbor, employee, postman that loves the Galway races and couldn't be there, they went onto our website and you filled out their name and details or your name and details and listed somebody that you would love, say, my dad to talk to. So then we got all those in and then I reached out to 20 to 30 personalities in racing. Davy Russell, Rachel Blackmore I mentioned, Michael Halford, Gordon Elliott, Noel Mead, etc. And they were all like, game ball, let's do it. Mm. So all we did then was match these people. So say if Gary Kelly wanted to speak with, or you say your dad want, is a massive Galway races fan and he wants to speak with Davy Russell, we connected them. Yeah. So Davy would ring your dad by surprise. Whoever nominated your dad, say it was yourself, we'd ring you and say, Davy Russell is available on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. Is your dad for you to organise that? And the phone call happened. Brilliant. And I cannot tell you how amazing that campaign that Cost Zero did for our fans, for the feel good vibe of the festival, but also for our brand, really strengthened our brand and that connection with our, our fans. And again, it costs nothing. And then the other thing to follow up on that, we had those that received those beautiful phone calls from these stars of racing. We had somebody who saw the phone call take that photograph and then we'd post it on social media afterwards, letting people know that we fulfilled in our promise. Mm. So we did loads of fun things like that. But those phone calls were so important as well, because I remember when COVID happened and we all realized we were going to be at home. Day one, I just spent the day in my office at home panicking. Yeah, we all did. And day two, I started thinking and I got a phone call because at the time we were, our offices was based in Goy City Centre and we shared it with Tommy Tiernan's production company. And Tommy actually rang me up on the mobile. And he, the first thing he said is, how are you? And I must spend 15 minutes just monologue, talking, whatever was in my head. I just had to get it out there. I'd say he regret that he rang me because <laughs> he didn't get a word in. But that phone call just did me the world of good. That, you know, like I couldn't let my wife know or my kids see that there was just chaos going on in my head. And I didn't know what the future was and how bad things could get. And it was scary times you're was right to have those phone calls where you could just talk. and you know those phone calls they really stood out to me that year as I said it cost nothing to do that campaign and it was probably the best thing we did that summer but there were conversations that happened like I remember Mick Halford the flat trainer in the car rang me afterwards and he's like I'm really moved by that conversation the gentleman he had spoke with had just gotten through COVID and had spent three months in hospital so he, you know this gentleman was a big fan of flat racing mm. Mick went then beyond the Call of Duty invited that man and his family up to the yard, which I know happened. There was another girl in Belfast who was a big Paul Carberry fan at the time and that phone call happened and she was in hospital and had been paralysed from a riding accident and that gave her a huge lift. So they weren't just the phone call. There was depth to a lot of those different phone calls and I used to get feedback in the office from after the phone calls happened and I'd have to you all must be well done yeah, yeah. knowing that you've done something to help yeah. but little things like that really connected us with our audience and you know we also did things like the fan wall something I saw being done in a premiership club in the UK and you couldn't be there but you wanted to give a shout out to a jockey a trainer an owner or a horse that was running we asked some fans at home to send in videos or messages and we then had those displayed on the big screen at the track where there was nobody. But we had these, you know, lovely me video messages via text or photograph or video to people that were there. So they could see, even though fans aren't here, they're mm. connected and they're tuned and they're willing us on. Brilliant. And then we had reached out to people like AP McCoy, another Chamberlain who hosts the ITV racing programme, Jane Mangan, etc. And they were all, again, put these messages out in social to say, look, even though you're not here, you can't be here. We're thinking of you at home and we have those messages on our fan wall. So it was the little things, but that friendships, 
you know, the love of racing reunions, that's the heartbeat of the Galway Race brand. So, yeah. So in your years of marketing, Mm. was this the first moment where you really had that connection of of saying, wow, look what we're doing, the difference we're making? Yeah, I think it was because, as you know, the Galway Race Summer Festival is a beast, Mm. you know, and there's a big, there's only a small team of us in the office. There's five of us there. The famous five. This is what I don't understand. I know. So there's Michael. There's a whole team of us. So there's Michael Maloney, CEO, Rob Latchford, our financial controller, Ashley, who looks after ticketing, Annette, who's just like, does everything. She's there a long time. She's an amazing person on our team, myself. And then that team would swell up for ticketing on a normal festival, but we mm. didn't have those two years. But it's like an organisation where you think there's like 30 to 50 of I you. I know. And then there's a huge, there's a team on the track, which is all headed up by the track foreman or the track groundsman, Jerry Broderick. So... Yeah, that year was very special because we were getting mass cards, phone calls, emails of people just wishing and willing as well. And that's when you really get, again, I always speak about tuning into your customer, mm. listening, doing the research and then being bespoke and prescriptive how you respond. You know, we often think we know what the customer wants, but do you really? Have you asked the question? How can we improve? And feedback, we're always like, that's the one thing I'm proud of us as a business. We always seek feedback. How can we do better? How can we be a better business next year? You know, and what, this year I'm, we're always saying, the team, we're always saying, create what you wish existed. What would we love to see next year at the Galway Races? So we've asked I those questions. Yeah. And um, we always go out with two big pieces of research post-event. So after the summer festival, and again, we did one this year after the student race day and got great feedback from the students. You know, you always want to tap into that Gen Z, as they call mm. it. But that year, COVID, those two years, yeah, they, they were very special. It was tough on a lot of people. We we connected with compassion and optimism. And that year, then the race course went on to win race course business of the year in Galway. And then we won marketing of the year with no money, having no <laughs> spent really not a lot of money. So you do evaluate, reevaluate after that. And that's why when we kicked on normal times 2022 that just occurred, we had to rethink about our strategy. And that's why digital is so important for us now. And of course, listening to your customer, I can't emphasize that enough. It's funny because I I do know people where you would encourage them to talk to your customers and get feedback and they recoil at the whole idea of that, that they'd rather just kind of pull the wool over their own eyes and think everything's fine and rosy. And again, as we were speaking before we start recording, I know businesses out there who often said, look, this is what we've always done and this is what we'll keep on doing. And it's, it's not the right mentality to have. And your customer, I think, keeps changing. And from my perspective anyways, and I don't know, was it intentional on yourselves, but there seems to have been a whole rebranding of Galway races in the last number of years. So I suppose when I was young going to the Galway races, you had kind of the carnival outside and people outside watching the races coming in, but they weren't paying to go in or whatever. And that was kind of my family experience of it. Me too. That's what I remember. So I might go racing with friends during the week. Then we always go with the kids on the Sunday, the last day. And in fairness, and I noticed it more so this year, there's so much going on for families at Hatter's Day and Bouncy Castles and the train ride and the discos. Like there's loads going on. It's a real, real family day. And during the week then, I think the start of the week is very much for the locals and the people who really look at the book and analyze the horses. And then it kind of gets a bit more party-ish. Correct. You should work with us. <laughs> yeah, and there's more companies encouraged to do corporate events. They're like, bring your staff out, bring the team out, have an, an evening out of the Galway races. Because you, you changed from more daytime to evening time as well. So it became 
more of an event post work, we'll say, for companies. So it was it was very different to see all this develop over the last few years. And I was wondering, was that intentional or did that just happen? Yeah, so there has been an evolve the race course has in terms of its branding in the last few years. So before I joined the race course, they've never had a marketing manager per se. So when I joined, we wanted those four pillars that we came in with our strategy. So the first one was to refresh the brand. You know, the Galway races is so strong. It's such a success. It didn't need a whole lot of tweaking. Mm. We work off a philosophy called the 1% marginal gain. Mm -hmm. So it's, people are sick of me in my office talking about this, but it's how can we improve the business by just 1%. So the brand needed a refresh, like all businesses. After, you know, 30, 40, 10 years, you need to be looking at your brand. So we did a brand refresh. We looked at the logo. We also dialed up and enhanced all our digital marketing. Again, they didn't have a dedicated person. They're looking at all their digital platforms. We also did the whole online ticketing, which was, you know, so important nowadays. We also looked at how we can leverage our corporate partners more. Again, digital. How can we shout about, you know, the Guinness events that go on? How can we shout about the local hotels day in a coordinated fashion? And then last but not least, the main thing was to really look at the fan experience on site. So they were the four pillars of our strategy when when I joined the team. The brand refresh has happened and it's going down well. It's really nice. Hopefully you'll recall it in your own mind if you're listening to this. It's the kind of Celtic looking horse on the maroon Galway background and uh, was well received. And then we went on and for our 150th, we created a very special limited edition logo of that and it's gone down really well. You know, the feedback we get is always good on it. But again, you're always looking to see how you can improve. And touch wood, the business is stronger than ever. And I think we've come out of COVID as a business stronger than ever. The brand loyalty is deep. But as you mentioned, our customer, we're always looking to bring in new people. So we call about you've acquisition strategy and retention strategy. Mm. So in our retention strategy, so I was looking to mine that fan more. So just as COVID kicked off, we had plans to launch this club. So it's called the Galway Races Club. It was only a tenner to join for the year, very minimal, but you get a lot of money, can't buy experiences. So that has just taken off. And again, that's more about minding your business. And tell us about the club. So the club is deadly. I want to be in the club. <laughs> yeah, we're very passionate about our club. And so for 10 euros a year, you get to be part of this like-minded club with other fellow racing fans. And we bring you on various outings throughout the year. So it's about one per quarter. So we just had one there for this year, for example, earlier this year, we brought all our club members down to Joseph O'Brien's yard. Like who gets in to Joseph O'Brien's? He's like the, the, you know, in terms of say Formula One, he would be the Mercedes. Mm. So we got into Joseph O'Brien's yard, met him. He brought us down to the gallops, to see his horses on the gallops. We got to meet the jockeys and the amazing horses, brought us on a tour. And then we all went for lunch down there. Then during the summer festival this year, our club members got to walk the track early in the morning with Michael Maloney and our clerk of the course, Lorcan Weir. And to ask those questions about the going and yeah, why yeah. steeplechase fences are put here and about flat days and moving the rail. So it's about bringing you behind the scenes of the Galway races. That's brilliant. Yeah. And then we just came back from another trip there a couple of weeks ago where we brought our, our club members, those that wanted to go, to the racing academy in Kildare. And we organised everything. Minimum fee. So this last week or a couple of weeks ago it was 25 euro but actually we used that money and we donated it to the Indoor Jockeys Fund so you paid your 25 euro you got your bus we gave you coffee and nibbles on the way up you got your entry and behind the scenes to the racing academy where you got to see 30 up and coming jockeys that are in training you got to see them in a lesson on the gallops and then we 
also got to meet Wesley Joyce, who was a mm. jockey that had a bad fall with us during the summer. He's rehabilitating, thankfully doing really well. And then we went on to the National Stud and got to see the breeding side of horse racing. So it's these money can buy experiences and that's part of our retention strategy. But then in looking at the business to grow your sport, it's about acquisition. How do we get those new fans in? And that's why those student race days, that feedback is so key for yeah, us. Yeah, because it's not just the corporate no. people you're going for. So we segment our market into four areas. So you have fanatics, which would be like my dad loves racing, <laughs> goes all the time. Then you have the casual, probably like yourself, you yeah. go one or two days. Then you have the potential, those that are tuned into this, that maybe you want to go, it's on next summer. And then you have the laps, those that have historically went, but maybe haven't been in the last few years because of COVID or other reasons. So, yeah, we're always looking. And again, we talk about going global. We're always looking to see what other sports are doing to attract new fans into the festival experience, but also how we can mind that fan better. Because you have people, not just from Galway going mm. to it, but from oh, all over the country over. and abroad. Probably get like, the UK visitor would be, you know, 20 plus percent of our visitors that come to the festival. And then Ireland, it's all like Dublin's huge, Cork, mm. Limerick. I mean, it's all over. You know, they come from all over. And nowadays with the infrastructure there, the motorways from Dublin, it's two, two and a half hours, Limerick an hour. So it's very accessible. Yeah, it's funny, actually, because it's only having a conversation with my parents recently. They were talking about a girlfriend of mine that they met with me at the race. Course, yeah. Uh, and they were slagging me. We all have a story it. about yeah. the Galway races. But we do, though. I know. Like, yeah. There's so many moments in my life that I can recall events or meetings with people that took place at the Goy races from a child going in and get my cotton candy or whatever. It's now, I mean, it's very, very important to go races for me nowadays because the Sunday especially is the big family day, but it's also that one day of the year that myself and about five or six other guys meet up. So no matter what goes on during the year, we always know that we will make the effort and we will meet each other on that Sunday at the Galway Summer Festival. So it's like, it's it's a big, big deal for us. And that Sunday is a really big deal for us too, because not only is it the culmination of a brilliant, please got fingers touch wood, a great week for us, but the family is so important. Mm. You know, I've shown he's 14, you've your children. You're always looking for somewhere to go and Annette in our office looks after the entertainment for all of that and does a, and well she done, smashes Annette. it, Annette, <laughs> Bula Busk. But um, that day is so much fun. Yeah. Like we had thousands of families there. Like, I mean, thousands. And it's just something for everyone. And my own cousin Fiona was saying to me recently, she was there with her two girls and her husband. And, you know, she would have typically come Ladies' Day. Now she's meeting all her friends on the Sunday because they have kids now. Yeah. And it's so well catered for. Yeah, because when I was younger, obviously Ladies' Day yeah. was the day. Gary Kelly was rocking up. <laughs> <laughs> In your finery. <laughs> Open to impress. <laughs> <laughs> Never worked. <laughs> oh, you've done well. You've done well. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a big day for us. And what we want to do is you buy your family ticket, which is thirty two fifty in advance or forty euro on the day, and that gets you and your children in for the day. And everything then is with our compliments. So this year, I talked about that one percent marginal game. Mm. We're always looking to see how can we be better next year. So this year, when you arrived with your kids. Your children got backpacks, Galway Races backpacks with a juice, some crisps, colouring books, pencils, a sticker of our mascot. And then you had your family portrait taken with our compliments. So we really mind the families because they're our future race goers. Yeah. Like you talked about, you were there as a kid. I remember going with my cousins every summer when they came over from America to the Galway Races. And we all have stories. People meet their other partner at the Galway Races, mm -hmm. you know, and really heartwarming stories where this year we had some customers 
one lady was going through chemo and what kept her going was, I got to get to the Galway races. I haven't missed it in 40 years. And it's it's tradition. It's part of our culture here in Galway. And everywhere you turn, like we have the most amazing entertainment programme yeah. with Nathan Carter here last year, or 2022. Yeah, and we, we employ a huge amount of locals for the week. And we also employ all local bands if we can, except for the likes of an, a headliner. But the conquerors are there, you know, the gamblers. It's just brilliant. It's this racing's at the core of what we do, but we want to create a festival where it's for you and we think of you all the time. What are your needs? What are your wants? You know, if there's new types of food that's trending, we want that food truck there. So we're, listen, we're always innovating, I hope. And we're just back from a strategy day yesterday. We were looking ahead to say, you know, in, in terms of all the different areas, operations, food and beverage, sales and marketing, owners, stable staff, how can we get better? So we've a good team there. It's interesting as well because working in hospitality, I think, you know, you're firefighting all the time. There's a new event on, there's a wedding on, there's a conference, there's this and that is happening all the time. You know, no weekend is quiet in a busy hotel. And then with the Galway races, you have your big event in the summer and then you have a meeting in September and you've won in October. And then there's that bit of quiet time in between. Now, I'm not saying that there's nothing going on because there is, but you find it more valuable when you have the big event, but you have maybe 10 months in the year then to work around and focus more on growing that and improving that rather than the environment you might have been in before in hospitality where you're nearly firefighting every week. Yeah, I think there's pros and cons. So in my five years with the G Hotel, that was, like you say, it was intense. It was long hours, you know, always something on, always something coming up. Whereas with the race course, when we, it's, you know, the summer festival is seven days. We have five other days where we trial things. So in that off period, we try little things out that we feel might work for the festival. If they work, thumbs up, let's put them in the programme. If not, you know, trash them. But there's pros and cons. If you make really good impact with your new ideas and initiatives for the summer, you have to wait a whole 12 months yeah. to make that happen again. Yeah. So that's a bit of a, ugh. whereas with live, say Gaelic or soccer or golf, they have another event coming up. They can tweak it in two weeks time. We have to wait a whole 12 months. On the positive side, yes, you're always looking to see how you can improve all those areas and you have time to ask your customer, to speak to your stakeholders, to tweak and get prescriptive in what you're going to offer the following year. And you're also looking at what's going on in those 12 months that's changed, that may change or shape your strategy for the following year as well. And in our autumn racing, September, October, we've been really proud of that 3D October meeting, which is building. So the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, two days of jump racing, Monday flat racing. On the Sunday, we linked up some years ago, 2018, with the Breast Cancer Research Unit over in the hospital, yeah. led by Professor Michael Kern over in the Lamb Institute. And that, we have huge passion and pride in that project. So we just had it there a few weeks ago. And would you believe the day itself, with the support that I get from all the people that attend it, raised 90,000 euro cash for breast cancer research. And it occurs in Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So that's a special one to us. So again, during those off-season ones, you're always trialling different things to see will they work in summertime. Excellent. So we're lucky. Yeah, as I said, there's pros and cons. A lot of the time you're like, I'd love it again in a few months so we can trial out something else. But um, you're always doing your research and tweaking and brainstorming. So the chaotic week of the summer festival, mm. are you able to manage yourself well enough now that at the end of the week, you're not completely destroyed or every year are you just wrecked come the end of the week? 
No, you learn to pace yourself. Yeah. I don't really go out at all. People all say, oh, it's such a great job. Are you out socialising? I'm like, am I? What? No. The build up to it is busy. You know, you'd be working a lot of hours, a lot of days. But again, there's a very strong team. Everyone knows what they need to do and everyone has their own area. Race week itself, you would pace yourself mm. every day. You're up, cock crow. But I do better things now for myself, more self-care that mind me for the week. So I would have girly things here like your hairdresser coming to your house that morning your outfits picked out for every day so all you have to do is literally take Mondays out but my mum bought me a rail in Argus and each hanger is labelled Monday to Sunday and literally everything I need for each of those days take it with me to the track because in the morning I'd be in wellies and walking the track and out doing bits and bobs on the enclosures for social media and whatnot. I could be down the stable yard videoing a horse or anywhere mm. could find me anywhere so then you change once the gates open you change into your client facing clothes but I do things now to mind myself so I'll get home my parents normally take Sean that week or he'll go to his dad's I, I'm divorced so he'll go to visit his dad in Kildare that week generally though he likes to be around Galway now mm. because he loves the buzz of it yeah. himself he thinks he's a little JP McManus <laughs> so walking into Ballybrit but every evening you would mind yourself you know I don't drink at all that week you'd have the little tipple with my friends on a Thursday night in Curran's Lane that's our annual thing since for years but no you'd mind yourself go to bed early Take your vitamins because it's a long week. We all do. We all mind ourselves that week. And then Sunday night when it's all over, you let the hair down, shall we say? Brilliant. And then we always take annual leave after that because you'd be exhausted, okay. you know. But it's so much fun. Gary, it's our Christmas. It is fun, yeah. You know, it's honestly, I have a great job and I work with a great team and we're very lucky. We laugh a lot. And we've the phone calls, the mask cards, the flowers, all the different interactions we have with our customer, like they don't go unnoticed. Yeah, I'm very lucky. And how important is your health to mm. you right now? God, it's key. I am 40. <laughs> Nine. Just gone, just gone. Fuck off. I'm 44. Um, very important. I think the older you get, the more you're in tune with what can happen in life. As I said, I'm divorced, so it's myself and Sean. And, you know, I had a little incident during the summer. I pulled a muscle in my chest and uh, that makes you aware like of things. Do I have a will made? I even ask, how do you pull a muscle in your chest? I was lifting things too heavy. Right. Just, you know, kind of when I should be asking someone to lift things yeah. you, d you tend to lug them yourselves but my health is more important now than ever I think when you get older and wiser you definitely know the do's and don'ts so I now work out during the week and mind my health I could consider myself quite healthy I swim in the ocean like many oh, of us brilliant. yeah that's just amazing God that's my I'm addicted to sea swimming love it And do you hit the gym every week? I would go to a trainer twice a week yeah over in HealthFit here in Ballybrit and do two lunchtime sessions so I schedule it in so you know they say if you don't schedule it in you won't it won't happen particularly in the evening times with soccer and all the other stuff mm. that goes on yeah my health has never been more important because you see and hear friends of yours your age that are sick or you know help out with the breast cancer research institute and I see and hear a lot of things with people my age so I think we're all a lot more in tune with our health now particularly with COVID it's awoken a lot of us to a lot of no longer been on the hamster wheel taking time what's important what's not important but there's always room for improvement of course but yeah my health has never been better While I have you as well you had your own business before I did Inspire was it? Inspire Marketing and PR yeah that brings back memories That's I loved back it. now a long time Yeah I was living in Nace and I left Punchestown to set up my own business because a lot of my sponsors from Punchestown would have asked me to do bits for them on the side. And, you know, you don't want to be doing that when you're in a full time role. So I thought I'd take the leap and work for myself. So I took this office in Main Street Nace at the time and 
I really enjoyed that, I have to say, but we were building a house at the time. I was married up there and I got a job offer, a very lucrative job offer to join a company in Dublin, Spirit Retail Marketing as their account director. And it would be giving me double the income with less responsibility of my own business, but double the income every month. And we were building a house and at the time I wanted to have a baby. So I thought, you know what, I'll take that route as opposed to be a sole trader anymore. But I loved it. And you see, it really taught me a lesson in so far when I take on jobs now, I kind of treat it like my own business, you know, because I've been there for a couple of years running, you know, doing my VAT returns, making prospecting what's coming in in six months time. Gives you a totally different mindset. Like you're not just clocking in and clocking out now when I'm in this role or in my previous role. But yeah, I think it's so important to try these things. And I changed at the time to suit my lifestyle, which was looking at being a mom and having more money with less hassle of running a business. But I was glad I did it because I have a different mindset now. And I think it's so important to to try things. Sometimes we're afraid to try things. Just give it a try. If it doesn't work, it's okay. I've become friendly with failure. I really have. I think it's so important that we try things. You've only one life to live. And if it doesn't work, move on. Fail quick. Get up and get on with it. So what's been the big lesson, the big mistake you've made but learned so much from? God, see, I don't really believe in mistakes per se, because I think there's always a learning in everything. That is a great question. What has been my biggest mistake? I think it's a positive one for me. I would say try something new. Don't be afraid to disrupt and innovate. Do your research, have your homework done and then try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm a big believer in all a person can say is no. So make out your bucket list in terms of your personal life, your professional life and go for it, you know. Something I did a few pre-COVID, working in racing, I really wanted to experience what it was like to ride a racehorse. So I grew up show jumping, riding ponies and horses, but racing is very different. And in working in racing, I really wanted to understand what it takes to get a racehorse to a race course and the team that, what they do and how hard they work. It's fine for me sitting in a race course, but I really didn't know what goes on in a stable yard. So I took this for Gary that I wanted to learn how to ride a racehorse. So I went up to a yard in Mead, up to Gordon Elliott's and I rang my brother beforehand and I said, God, you know, I think I'm going to ride out in a yard. And he goes, oh, you're well able, but they go at some clip now, just so you know. So off I went and I went up and for 11 weeks, I rode out every Saturday morning at seven o'clock and it scared the bejesus out of me. I don't believe it. Yeah. Like, it's like driving a Formula One car. It was amazing. Like probably one of the best experiences of my life, but also the most frightening, one of the most frightening experiences of my life. Because a couple of times those horses took off at me. It happened to me twice. And I remember the first time, like, it's just you've no power. This was like a, a thoroughbred racehorse. It was a steeplechaser. But the grit and determination in me, the next time I went, the next Saturday morning, I wanted the same horse because I had my mindset that he wasn't going to tank off on me this week. It was an amazing experience. And to know, I guess it's like sea swimming, to put yourself in those stressful situations and know through breathing and getting your mind under control, you can handle those. That was one of my most frightening times in my life, but also the most beneficial because I now feel when you put yourself in stressful situations and you're able to handle it, clear mind, cool mind, you, you know, you're sitting on the horse and you know that you have a handle on it that I feel you can handle anything then. And I've definitely changed gear as a person since doing those things which are frightening, but also empowering. They've really changed the Sinead that once was there by doing those things. I guess it's about doing things that you think you're not capable of. I think we all have so much more potential than we're capable of. During the week of the festival then, if you've something planned mm. and so something goes drastically wrong, 
How do you react to it now? I think I'm a lot calmer and more collected in my thoughts. Like crisis management kicks in and you're training. The worst thing that could happen is always, you know, to do with a, a rider. Everything else you can handle. There's a great team there. Michael Maloney leads the team and there's a, a really strong team in place. And thank God you feel you're able for anything that would come your way. Yeah, those things would never dishevel me too much. You have a good team. Keep a cool head. A lot of the services that are needed should anything really bad happen are there and then the emergency plan kicks in. So no, thank God, touch wood. Don't tend to get too frazzled too much. And professionally then, was there ever a moment where you were coming home and you were saying to yourself, I can't do this anymore. This isn't for me. Recently enough, actually, I went over to the States to Harvard Business School and that was on my bucket list for a long time. And again, something I thought I would never even get accepted, applied. So that's my point is always think big, make that list out, apply, ask the person, all they can say is no. So I applied to Harvard Business School for this business executive program and I went in and landed in Harvard. I was there for the week living on site and I actually felt imposter syndrome kick in. I was with these 70 other students from all over the world and I thought, what am I doing here? I remember texting one of my friends saying, oh my God, like I feel so fish out of water. But then I'm a big believer in just calming the mind. Again, I've been on a racehorse or going into jumping into cold water, calming the mind and say, no, why not? Why not me? And then I settled in and then I was fine. That was a very fish out of water moment for the first day. The group that I was with, Americans compared to the Irish are very confident, you know, and they're very forward. And I feel I'm confident to a certain level, but this was a whole different level. And that took some adjusting. And then I settled in and it was fine. And it's probably 20 plus years since you were last in college anyways, isn't it? It would be, yeah. But this was a different league altogether. Like these are smart cookies. Mm. And it was just to eliminate the doubt from my head and say, no, of course you can do this, Cassidy. Why, why wouldn't you? And you purposely try and surround yourself with people who think big? Well, you know, Gary, one of the best lessons for me in my life has been mentorship. And when I worked for the G, I my path crossed with a gentleman called Ender McNulty. And at the time, he was the sports psychologist with the Irish rugby team. And our paths crossed. He was there with the Irish rugby team. They were down with the Smith manager for pre-World Cup prep. And our paths crossed and he offered me the gift of mentorship. Since then, to this day, I've been working with him every maybe once or twice a year. I'm now sit on his board in Dublin McNulty Performance. And that has brought me to a whole new level because it's about thinking big and not just thinking domestically here in Ireland. And that has really helped again where I am in my life. I feel nothing's impossible. And that's why I'm always trying and testing out new things. And that has helped me hugely professionally with being around people like him. He switched me on again because he would say, you know, sales or marketing manager. And he'd be like, but you're responsible for eight million. So he would help you think yeah, bigger yeah, about yeah. your own potential. And I think many of us don't know our own potential until we're put to a test. There's a saying, a woman is like a tea bag. For us only when she's placed in hot water, you realise how strong she is. So I think it's very important that we actually step out of our comfort zone and get comfortable being uncomfortable in situations. Because we all, everyone has so much more potential than what we think we have. But it's about being around good people. Yeah. For me, it was my mentor, Enda McNulty, Anna Mae McHugh in the ploughing. And my own friends have a really good handful of really strong friendships there and they're all smashing it at what they do. And you can't but, through osmosis, be influenced by that. 
So yeah, that's the one thing I definitely, him coming into my life as a mentor really was a catalyst for me. And would your circle of friends be those who went to Taylor's Hill with you? No, oh. I'm still, fr- I'm actually meeting my school friends on Saturday morning, but my own friends now, no, it's people I've met through work actually were hobbies, racing, show jumping. They probably would all be similar mindsets, you know, that growth mindset that you can achieve anything once you put your mind to it. And I now try and instill that in my son, Sean, like I always say to him, my friends would probably say this too. I, the quote I love is, if you think you can or you can't, you're right. It's all about mm. your mindset. Yeah. And I even in my own spare time, I read a lot about, you know, growth, listen to good podcasts. I think it's so important because we're only here once that we know of. So give it your best shot. That's interesting. So there's certain motivational books yeah. you listen to those podcasts. Yeah. And then you probably have a good routine as well by getting up early in the morning and doing different bits and bobs before you go to work? Well, Sean has is now in second year in the Bish, the local school here. So since he has moved into town, we're up early. So half six and yeah, I do have a good routine. But listen, I wasn't always like this. Mm. This is probably since the last few years, you know, it's trial and error. And again, it's important to mind yourself. Like I'm a single mum. So it's important that I mind myself for my son because, you know, happy mother happy family. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us didn't do that a good few years ago. We had that, you know, the Irish mammy syndrome where you looked after yourself last. Like my mom is an amazing person. She's she would be that typical Irish mammy. She's my probably my favorite person in the world as well as my son and my own family. But I see through her, she would always say to me, you know, make sure that you, you look after yourself because if you don't you know, that oxygen mask effect, you can't mind others. Mm. But yeah, no, I have a good circle of friends and I'm all about empowerment and championing others too. I think it's so important. And finally, comparing Sinead today to Sinead, we'll say even just 10 years ago, is there much difference? Oh, huge. Yeah. The backstory, I was married before and then I moved back to Galway with Sean when he was a couple of weeks old, 14 years ago. And it's a different girl. You know, I say this is like Sinead version two. Yeah. I think a lot more courageous, brave through the power of mentorship and being around great people and even my own self-development. I would try anything now, whereas before I would have been, no, I was like sensible Sally in the corner and I was a pleaser, whereas now my own cup is full. So I think I'm a lot braver and more confident to try things like I would never have ridden a racehorse 14 years ago. I would never have done some of the things that I do now. 14 years ago. But I think that's just getting older and wiser too. We evolve, we learn. But even going to Harvard, it's not something you had to do, but you just pushed yourself to do it. Yeah. Like I really believe in if there's something out there you want to do, go do it. And again, my parents are like that too, you know. Like growing up in Newcastle in town, you know, very few people had the exposure to be riding ponies and have their own ponies. But my dad gave us that gift. So now I always like to think outside the box and not just do what's expected, but reach that little bit further, you know, and I hopefully will instill that in Sean too. Excellent. Sinead, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Snap. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to this final episode in this series of Gary Talks. And thank you to all my guests who joined me over the past few months and so kindly shared their stories. Please spread the word about the podcast and you can follow Gary Talks on social media. I'll be back in 2023 with more guests, more stories and more insights. Have a wonderful Christmas. Good luck setting your goals for 2023 and take time out 
to spend some time on yourself. Till I talk to you next time, take care.